I like the idea of staying on a single theme. This is only a one-week retreat, and so really to explore metta is it doesn't have to be a week. It could be a year retreat on metta. The Buddha is very clear that he has monks and nuns who dwell in loving kindness and metta 24 hours a day, and they don't do much else practice. They just live there. And you can live there almost, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have the circumstances, you could actually abide in this for the rest of your life in a kind of a heightened state of uh, a profound goodwill. And it would be very ad- a good thing, uh, very advisable. You can live there. It's not some place that you just have to visit, you know, learn to live there. And it is not out of line with the ultimate goals of the Buddha, the Dhamma. It is a basis for liberation as well. You can use that as a springboard for insight. One of the main benefits is that if you do manage to find your way into this heavenly realm, you cannot take two things with you. They're left outside. It's like going into a into some place where you've got to leave your weapons outside. But what you can't take in there is anger, and you can't take in greed, and you really can't take in agitation or sorrow in there. And these are the primary impediments to true well-being. Psychic, spiritual well-being are impeded by these things. And also your capacity to clearly see the nature of the truth that the Buddha is pointing to, the primary truths of of anicca, of dukkha, of anatta. The reason why we can't see these, these are anicca, from the micro scale to the macro scale, every aspect of reality is flowing, and especially every aspect of you is flowing. Looking inwards or outwards, both inwards and outwards, does not matter. All you really see is flow. If your mind is in the right state, the reason we don't normally see this is perceptual conditions, where we're operating in the world of nouns. It's a convenient way to operate past the salt, etc. The salt is just a, a unit And it's perfectly good to refer to things as nouns, but there are no nouns, really. There are just verbs. But to use all verbs is uh, tedious. So uh, it's just uh, convenient, but it's not true. It's not ultimately true. The truth is that there are no nouns. There are no things. Everything is flowing, changing, moving. All of your life, every aspect of it and the world around you. And by settling down these sort of psychic habits that you have, habits of perception and so forth, you're much more able to gaze with a kind of serene lucidity on this truth. It should appear to you. It will appear. Now, the the serenity and ease and fearlessness is part and parcel of 
loving kindness. So it sets you up for this. Now, if you hadn't been exposed to Dhamma before, if you hadn't heard about the three characteristics, the four noble truths, then the loving kindness might just stay in, in just a very healthy and therapeutic mode. But it's because that information is there, and I'll, of course, remind you of it in the talks as well, it's, it's likely that your mind will will go to that theme. You've heard it so many times, but when you're in this state of the preparatory state of loving-kindness, it's not only beneficial here and now, but it also opens you up to to uh, smooths out the... puts you into a different state of mind so that these characteristics of reality can pop out at you in a transforming way, in a, in a profound undeniable kind of way. When you're in a state of kindness, you know, uh, you're also in a state of sensitivity to to suffering. You quite often have a revelation that you are a dear human being who is not happy and has problems and fear. And this suddenly hits you, but only when you have the right emotional context You see yourself with the eyes of kindness, the way the Buddha would have seen you. You also then see others with that. And you need to soften it all up and massage it and open it and let go of the the impediments to this and all of the safety structures and filters that we have adopted, perhaps, from childhood. We have this opportunity. We have a week to just open up. Nobody's going to be... You're going to have to really deal with anybody. There's not going to be any quick conversations and defensive structures necessary. You're really just in an empty room and a perfect situation for just not having to defend yourself or aggrandize yourself or any of these things. You're you're free to explore this. Now, by the way, loving kindness is not does not leave you defenseless. Uh, you will find out mostly that you have had defensive structures that are completely unnecessary most of your life. You know, in walking around with this thinking, you needed these things, but you don't. Loving kindness is, is very competent. It's a very competent, skillful, and protective attitude and emotion. It doesn't let you down, and it's full of ingenuity. It's not interested in you being injured or harmed in any way. It's the opposite. And um, some of the benefits are, they mention in the, the 11 benefits are, one is protected from fire, weapons, and poisons. So obviously it's a very good defensive structure. Those fire, weapons, and poisons, aside from those fire, weapons, and poisons, but are primarily the greed, hatred, and delusion which are in the world and within your system as well, that you are now protected from the the fires of greed and the poisons of hatred and the weapons and so forth. These are emotional injuries, and they can be much more severe than physical injuries. And they are an anesthetic for that, or uh, they don't arise. So all kinds of systems and structures, psychological structures that humans naturally develop can be disarmed and uh, safely disarmed.
there's huge benefits in this and it opens you up for true reflection, the capacity to reflect. And this reflection might rise naturally. You may not have to actually stimulate the idea of now I should think about everything being impermanent. Now I should think about the unsatisfactory nature of that. Now I should think about the selfless nature of things, the insubstantiality of my my being. You may not have to deliberately divert your attention to that that so-called uh, vipassana kind of uh, practice. You might find yourself staring lucidly and serenely at those realities. That is vipassana. So the kind of quality of consciousness that rises in loving-kindness is not without realizations and contemplations. It's not without clear seeing. Vipassana means uh, seeing clearly. It's not really a process. There's a certain amount of confusion in that. It's quite often confused with mindfulness practice. You're doing vipassana, and by that is meant you're practicing mindfulness, but actually there's a perfectly good word for mindfulness. It's sati, and there's a perfectly good word for seeing clearly, and that's vipassana. Vipassana is the result of skillful developments. Once the cultivation of loving-kindness is fulfilled, then uh, one sees clearly. Yeah? So think of it as a resultant rather than a process. It's a resultant. And you're, you're preparing for that lucid clarity, which loving-kindness is profoundly... See, it is very trustworthy in terms of its perceptions. Just note in your own life how when you've got a problem with somebody and you've got an axe to grind with them that you really can't trust your own assessments of who they are, because later on, when that anger goes away, you think, yeah, they really aren't as bad as I thought. You know, what was I saying? It seemed that way at the time, but then you realize you can't trust yourself. You can't trust your own judgments. You just, like, you go off on, you distort things. And you think, how did I, really, they're really quite nice. (laughs) They're wonderful people, but how did I, why was I seeing that? so strongly why was I so focused on that fault you know it led me to say things that I that I just don't think are true anymore you know so this is the um, benefits is that loving kindness does open you to a much more it's a superior emotion for trustworthy judgments you are much more likely to see people, including yourself, as you are than in any other mind state. You're not going to dismiss problems because that's not loving kindness. To not see the truth is not loving kindness. Loving kindness doesn't conceal things from you because it doesn't have to conceal anything. You're not concealing and distorting because you don't feel threatened. And so you're allowed to gaze without fear and with lucidity on your own life, the life of your relationships, the nature of yourself, and all of that includes, which is all that you're related to, your possessions and your family. And so if this is part of yourself, you're able to see 
you're disarming a lot of conceptual apparatus. You're undoing those things. And that allows you to see in a special way. And that's also another way of talking about vipassana, is to see in a special way. So this is the... um, the gorgeous uh, invitation to enter into a different emotional realm, which is in itself, if that's all that ever came of it, it would be worth everything. It's to know what real mental health is. And when you have real mental health, you also have physical health. So... It's so profoundly beneficial in so many ways that a week of this is nothing to put in to it. And of course, this is not straining and struggling and dry exercises. You may have been to retreats where it's a a real desert, a real desert to cross. But you, you do them because you feel... Like you, you just ran a marathon, an ultra marathon afterwards, through the desert. <laughs> you feel, God, it almost killed me, but I think it was supposed to be good for me. But maybe. <laughs> but this is a visit to the oasis. This is a visit to a place that's full of, uh, of ease. The Buddha goes on and on how pleasant and beautiful and wonderful and to saturate yourself in it to not hold back don't just sip take a bath